Amen. Well, I'm thankful to be with you this morning, thankful for worship, and thankful for Jesus this morning. Amen. We're going to be continuing on in the series you guys have been in of uh, really looking at how Jesus transforms lives and how normal everyday occurrences, how Jesus can transform the hearts of people. And today we're going to actually be uh, looking at Mark chapter 5, and we're going to be exploring the reality of victory belonging to Jesus, how Jesus can transform even the person who is in the lowest of places. I'm going to read these verses to you, and then we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. It's probably a very familiar passage, very familiar story, but we're going to pull out from it all the things that God has to say to us. The word of the Lord says to us in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse number 1, it says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, the region of Gerenices. As soon as he got up out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When Jesus saw from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him, and he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name, he asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in the town on the countryside. And people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs. When they had began to beg him to leave their region, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, Go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So you went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that we can gather and worship and sing praise to you. Thank you that your word indeed does transform us, conform us, and inform us into your image and likeness. Father, would you meet us here as we explore the truth of Scripture and that our hearts would be changed for it. Father, we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you know, it doesn't take much to startle a child. In fact, most kids are afraid of the dark where they don't want to sleep in a room by themselves. I had a friend that I once knew who grew up uh, afraid of many things. In fact, one of the things he was afraid of the most was his family. And as he gotten older, he began to share with me how he had a family member who uh, had a very serious drinking problem. And this family member's drinking problem was so intense where they would go on these violent rages of uh, hitting people and destroying things. 
And as my friend later on became a follower of Christ, he began to share with me how he believed that his family member not just had a, a drinking problem, but it was really what seemed to be demonic oppression and possession in her life. Oftentimes, even in our own context of the city of New Orleans, we can dismiss the fact that we not only live in a very spiritual place, but we live in a place where people are immensely broken and immensely oppressed by the evil one. It doesn't take much in our community to look around and see that people are broken and people are in need of the transforming and saving message of Jesus Christ. In fact, when Jesus talks about his own ministry, when Jesus talks about his ministry that he had been called to in Luke 4, 18 through 19, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Even today, Jesus is still in the business of setting the captives free. Even today, Jesus is in the business of transforming lives. In fact, many of you in this room have probably been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, and now you are a testimony of the goodness of God in your own walk. You're a walking billboard of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this in Romans 1:16? for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. It is the very power of God for salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew and also to the Greek. If victory truly belongs to Jesus, if, if Jesus actually does transform lives, and in fact, if he's transformed our lives, if we truly do believe in the power of the gospel and are not ashamed of the gospel, that means that we know that no one around us, it, no one around us is beyond help. No one around us is beyond reaching with the transforming message of Jesus Christ. In fact, if the gospel is able to reach us, how much more those around us? And so we see here the gospel of Mark giving us an account of the power of Jesus. In fact, before we look at this account, we want to get a good understanding of why Mark wrote the way he wrote. And Mark gives an account of the life of Jesus. He writes with one purpose in mind, one single purpose in mind. He wanted to make clear that Jesus indeed was the long-awaited Messiah. In fact, if you look in Mark 1 and 1, we get his very intention for writing this. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark makes it very clear, very poignantly clear that he is stating that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And he wants everyone who's reading this to know as well. The very core message of Mark is this. The kingdom of God has come, and through Jesus, God is conforming and confronting evil in the world by restoring God's kingdom. And because of this, he's inviting us, each one of us, to live under his reign. All throughout Mark, we get story after story of lives being touched and transformed by the very power of Jesus Christ. This gives us the clear picture of why this was so impactful. Why this story meant so much, because it was showing Jesus for who he really is. The Messiah who had come. The one who had come to proclaim a kingdom and the one who had come to confront evil. 
As we jump into verse 1 of Mark 5, we see Jesus coming to the other side of the sea. We see him getting out of the boat and all of a sudden having this unexpected encounter. And Jesus was a master teacher who wasted no opportunity to teach his disciples. Right before this, we see Jesus and the disciples in a boat and encountering a major storm. And Jesus calming the storm with his very words and the disciples with in so much fear and trepidation, wondering, who is he really? Yet he calms the storms with his very words. And so the moment they step off the boat, the scripture tells us that a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs to meet them. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was with Jesus and all of a sudden we got off a boat all night and the storm was raging, he calmed the storm, and then now we get off the boat and some crazy person is yelling at us, I'd be kind of freaked out as well. They were afraid that this person had come up to them unexpectedly screaming and crying out. And Jesus steps into the area, most likely on the eastern shore of a a predominantly Gentile area. And if you've been in church for a little while or maybe not even much, Jews and Gentiles didn't really mix that much. And so to see Jesus step off into a predominantly Gentile area was a big deal. And now he's going to encounter a man who is filled with an unclean spirit. He is demon-possessed. In fact, there was no time in the ministry of Jesus where he was afraid of those whom he encountered. No matter if they were steeped in sin or they were culturally outcast, Jesus was always in the business of people. In fact, in Mark 2 and 17, it says this, when Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Oftentimes, we can forget that that is the message of the gospel for the sick and for the broken, for those who are sinners. What do we know about this man? Well, he was most likely a Gentile. He was outcast from others, as we can tell him, living in the tombs. He had become a burden so much so that they could not control him with even chains or fetters or or any of those things. He had become a burden on all those around him in the community and in his family. He was uncontrollable and he was controlled not by himself, but controlled by demons. He was in this state for a very long time. I'm pretty sure many people looked at him and saw that this was a man who was beyond any type of help. The other gospel accounts actually tell us that it was not just one man, but it was two. One can only surmise that maybe this man was the worst of the worst. I'm pretty sure we know people like that. Maybe they're in our families. Maybe they're our neighbors who seem like they are the worst of the worst. But from this one account, we can see that the worst of the worst can be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The worst of the worst can be reached with the life-saving message that Jesus has come to confront evil and overcome it. What we see here in verses 3 through 5 is that he was beyond human help. Look what the Bible says. He lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles. And chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself 
with stones. He was beyond any human help. One writer commented this way, he said, demon possession is not a mere sickness or insanity, but a desperate satanic attempt to distort and destroy God's image in man. Is it any interesting wonder that today in our own culture that the evil one is trying to distort God's image and likeness in people? It's the same motive that he's had from the beginning. This man lived among the tombs, among the dead, which many of the ancients believed that were, this was the dwelling place for demons. As we see him cutting himself, as we see him beyond any type of human help, it kind of raises the question for us, how do we view those around us? Those who seem to be without any help. Now, it's easy to look at a person like this and say, you know what, they need some help. They need Jesus. It's easy to see the person under the bridge, or it's easy to see that person who seems like they don't have it all together and say, you know what, they need the Lord. What about our neighbor next to us who is consumed with wealth and who is bound by their love for money and and they're bound by all these desires for the riches of the world? Do we see them as needing help? What about the mom who is trying to be so uh, perfectionist to where she's enslaved herself to the sin of perfectionism, where it's so much a chain and a burden to where no one else knows about it? Do we really see the brokenness around us, or is it only those who seem like they need help? Or do we really see the reality that those around us who do not have Christ are in desperate need of the gospel? We may not see their chains physically, but what about in conversation as they begin to talk to us about the brokenness in their life and the struggles that they're having? Do we really see the brokenness in them? their desperate need of the gospel. But then the bigger question for us is, just as they faced in this very gospel account here of how they tried to chain this man up, they tried all sorts of things to get him under control until it seems like they just kind of gave up. What about us? How often do we give up on those around us because they seem beyond any help? I have people in my family that I've been praying for since I became a Christian. And if I'm very honest and transparent with you, there are many times where I just don't want to pray for them anymore. Where I'm just tired of constantly going to the Lord and praying for them, and it seems like nothing is happening. When you get around them and they still see the same, and then all of a sudden you share the gospel with them and it turns on deaf ears. But here's the thing. Jesus never stopped pursuing me. And I'm thankful for those even in my own life before I became a Christian who prayed for me and and brought me up before the Lord because the prayers of the righteous availeth much. No, God has called us to see that even if a person seems too far gone, too deep in sin, that the power of the gospel can still reach into the deepest and darkest of places and pull people out of the darkest of holes. The gospel still has the power to transform the darkest of hearts. You say, how do you still know the gospel has power? Because it saved me. And it's still sustaining me. And it's still turning lives around even now. We see in this very account how Jesus 
encounters this unexpected man who was beyond any sort of human help. And it's the same thing for us as well, that in our own context, in our city, that we're encountering people like this all the time. And no, they may not look just like this man, but there are those around us who seem like they're beyond any help. But can I tell you, the gospel can still reach them. But we see this man was tormented by many, tormented by many. Look at verse number six. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him and he cried out with a loud voice. What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Upon reading this, it would seem like this man is just coming down and bowing down in worship, but it is actually the exact opposite. Notice he uses the phrase, the the most high God. This is very common for Gentiles to use this phrase when referring to the God of Israel. Here we see that these demonic forces are, are, are at work. But here we see also the reality that no demonic force is omniscient or all knowing. Why? Because he's saying, what would you have to do with us? This very presence of the Son of God caused the demons to even recognize his majesty. In James 2.19, the scripture tells us, even the demons believe and they shudder. But the reality is their faith, even the demons, their faith and fear can't save them. They recognize who Jesus was, what he had come to do, but they also recognize that there is an end in store for them. In Mark 5, 7 and 8, They said, I beg you before God, don't torment me. For they told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. There's coming a day and a time when Christ will return and every demonic force and every work of the enemy will be completely done away with. The reality is the evil one can grab hold to the lives of people who are steeped in a sinful lifestyle. The devil is a horrible taskmaster. And the wages that the devil pays out equal death. But for us, we know that the very gift of God is eternal life in Christ. And that is the message we tell people. That yes, the wages of sin is death. But Christ has come to extend to you eternal life. That when you place your faith and trust in him, you can be forgiven. That you can have new life and life everlasting. Jesus asks him in verse 9, what is your name? He says, my name is Legion. He answered him, because we are many. Now, Legion was a Roman regiment of soldiers, regularly about 6,000. But what do we make of this? I mean, you think about you're reading this, and this man is immensely oppressed and immensely being tormented by demonic forces. What do you make of this? It's the reality of the strength and of the oppression this man was under. That he was under immense oppression and demonic forces. Yeah, read this through the lens of the first century person hearing about Jesus. Think about this. This man just said he was immensely oppressed and he was beyond human help. And he was chained with chains and the chains would break and he would run around the wilderness. Now, if you're reading this, you have to be wondering, can this Jesus truly set this man free? That is the point Mark is driving home right here. 
This man is beyond any human help. He is bound in every single way. Can Jesus set him free? Isn't that the question today? Can he still do it? The Christ who can calm every storm can also overcome every demonic force as well. In Colossians 2.15, it says this, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in Him. That means our God, our Christ, has all power and all authority in His hand. We don't have to fear the evil one at all. We can rest in the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. You know, several months ago, it's probably been a, a year or two ago, we were walking around our neighborhood. My wife told me I can't walk around our neighborhood anymore and do this, but we're walking around our neighborhood and we're kind of canvassing and prayer walking and, and stuff like that. And I grew up in the neighborhood I, I live in, the church we planted. I, I grew up there and we were walking around the neighborhood. And a man was very upset that we were walking down the street telling people about Jesus. And so he came up to me and, and just so happened, I was with like four other teenagers. And I don't know why this happened when I was with four other teenagers. The other adult was around the corner. And here I am and he comes up to us and says, you can't pass this way. I said, man, why can't we pass this way? And he says to us, this street belongs to us. And I'm sitting there like, okay, man, this is either one or two ways. One, you're going to either let us pass or two, this is going to be an altercation. But here's the reality. I had a mission that God had called me to do, and they had people we were supposed to talk to about Jesus. And somebody sent from the evil one is not about to stand in the way. And as politely as I could, as, as, as pastorally as I could say it to this, this nice man who was standing in the way of the gospel going forth, and I said to him, hey, my brother, let me explain something to you. You see this street right here? I want to tell you who owns it and who owns everything and even owns you. His name is Jesus Christ. And the reality is we've been sent here for one purpose, and the purpose is to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ to every person here, including you. So let me tell you about my Jesus this morning. He politely went ahead and stepped aside. Why are we emboldened that way? Because Jesus is not afraid of anything or anyone. And my life and our life belongs to him because he is the one who's before all things and truly over all things. And he is the one who has all power over all things. And look what happens in this story. In Mark 5, verses 11 through 13, we see a powerful deliverance. The Bible says a large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. And the demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. Warren Wiersbe said this, to Satan, a pig is as good as a man. In fact, Satan will make a man into a pig. This is exactly what this demon asked. Send us into a herd of pigs and not out of the region. Why? Because they wanted to torment even more people. The Bible tells us that a herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed over the cliff and drowned into the sea. Jesus had all authority and all power in his hand. And so he cast out this demonic force into a herd of pigs. 
And in an instant, the man who had been bound for years was set free in a moment and placed right there in his right mind. But look at the response of the community. Look at the response of those who are around. You would think they would be elated. You would think they would be excited because of what has just happened and what just occurred. But look what happened. They ran off to report, the Bible says. What did they report? They ran off and they saw the the herds of pigs fall into the sea. And they ran off and reported it to the town in the countryside. And the people went to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were afraid. They were afraid of what had just happened, the power that had, they had just encountered. And they saw this man who was once crazed and demon-possessed in his right mind. The reality of why they were afraid and why they were so upset is because they were more concerned with the economics of the situation. And they had more alarm for the pigs that had been just destroyed than this person who had been set free from the oppression of the evil one. They lost their pigs and they lost their economic engine. It's the same thing we see when all of a sudden someone who is in a a certain lifestyle all of a sudden comes out of that lifestyle and now a certain club shuts down or a bar shuts down. Or maybe you've experienced this when you came to faith in Christ and all of a sudden you used to go to this place and that place with this certain group of people and now you're all of a sudden being isolated because you no longer want to go that way anymore. They were afraid. Because they had lost what they had given them so much value. They didn't understand what had happened to this man. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is the power of God to us who are being saved. We cannot expect the world to completely understand all the things that God is doing. And when God transforms hearts and lives, when God takes a person who maybe was in the sex industry and all of a sudden turns their life around and now they're coming out of that and living a different lifestyle. No, the world doesn't understand that, but we do. It is the power of God. In fact, here's the reality for all of us who are followers of Christ. We should never be surprised when we see God doing an immense miracle in someone's life. Oftentimes we are. It's like we come to church and all of a sudden someone gets saved who we thought should not be saved. And then they get saved and we're like, gosh, I can't believe Jesus is saving people like that. We should be the people that are saying, yes, this is what should be happening. We should be expecting those who seem the most unlikely candidates for salvation to be the ones who are getting saved left and right. That's what our Jesus does. Our Jesus does this. He takes the person who was once on drugs or once selling drugs. We had a guy get saved in our church about a month ago who was one of those people who the bad people didn't even want to hang with. He was so out there when I told one of his cousins who's a pastor that he, was, he got saved and was getting baptized. He said, no, not my cousin. Not him of all people. There, there's no way. He was even surprised. But that's what Jesus does. He saves those who seem the most unlikely. Why? Because he's come for those who are broken. So we see here this very transformed life. Verse 18, 
As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. And Jesus did not let him, but told him, Go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. The gospel itself transforms and conforms and informs us into the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it like this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. There's sadly a movement in my generation that wants to give people the love of God, but don't want to tell them about the transforming gospel of God. See, when you give people just the love of God, you say, hey, God loves you, and God sees your value and worth, and God has made you in the image and likeness of God, and they want to give them the love of God. But yet what they are not giving people is that Jesus doesn't leave you the way you are. He actually radically changes your life to where you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. This is the gospel. That he brings us from darkness into light. From the kingdom of self and now into the kingdom of God. As people, as a people of God, we cannot forget that the gospel transforms the lives of men and women. Jesus is, has been, will always be in the business of transformation. And the beautiful thing about Jesus and the beautiful thing about the gospel, you don't have to force it. It's a working of God, the Holy Spirit. This man who was transformed by Jesus desired to remain with him. This is how you know transformation is real. When the person who is indeed transformed, you know what their next desire is? Not only do they want to tell other people about it, but they want to be with Jesus as well. Notice, he didn't have some emotional response. He didn't have the music had to be right and the lights were just perfect. And all of a sudden now emotionally he was moved. No, can I tell you, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you know your sins have been forgiven and you see the holiness of God and the sinfulness of yourself and you come to him and you place your faith and trust in him and you are born again, your desires change. You're transformed now. And you want to follow him all the days of your life. He desired to remain with Jesus. He begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. In fact, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus tell people over and over again who've experienced his power to remain silent. This is one of the one moments, the one few instances in the Gospels where he tells a person to go and tell of all the Lord had done for them. We see this man who is a Gentile, who now is being sent out to go and proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And this Decapolis was really ten other Gentile cities that he would go and tell of the goodness of God. This man was probably one of the first kind of Gentile converts to tell of the Messiah. That Jesus is who he says he is. 
He heads out and he is a walking billboard for the gospel. He's a walking billboard of what God had done for him. In 2001, in October of 2001, I was going into my sophomore year at Dillard University. And I had been one of those kids who was dragged to church. I had one of those teenagers who hated church. I was one of those teens who hated my mom who brought me to church. But I had a grandmother when I was about seven or eight who exposed me to the word. And I had an aunt who would read the Bible to me and pray for me. And all those things just kind of put the word of God in my heart. When I became a teenager, I walked away from anything dealing with the church and got involved in all sorts of other things. And I was in a very dark, dark place in my life. In my freshman year, I met a girl who was actually a real Christian. In fact, the only other real Christian I knew was my grandmother. I never met any other real Christian, sadly, in most of my life because nobody ever told me about Jesus at all. And this girl, I met her, and after the moment we met, she told me after we met, I thought she liked me, but she really didn't. She said, I'll be praying for you. I said, what weirdo tells you they're going to be praying for you? Well, she was really serious. She was actually started praying for me. And I don't know what she was praying, but all of a sudden after we met, my life seemed like it turned into a horrible movie. Things that were right started to go wrong. Things that I once wanted to do, I all of a sudden didn't want to do. And, and all of a sudden, the, the, the Bible that I had never read for many, many years began to be the thing I wanted to look at. And this same girl, I started asking her, hey, where do you go to church? And hey, can I come to church with you? And I started going to church with her and her family. And the moment I met her dad, her dad asked me, hey, if you were to die right now, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Like, you know, where are you staying with the Lord? And I was a church kind of person. So I went to church on Easter and Christmas and, and those kind of things. And so I, I kind of knew the right thing to say, but I knew in my heart I was not right with the Lord. There was so much darkness in my life that many people didn't know about and so many dark things going on within me. And, and for a whole year, this girl prayed for me and her dad began to pray for me. And he began to share the gospel with me over and over and over again. Even when I was hard-headed and didn't listen. About a year after I met her, I was sitting in her dad's car, broken, realizing the, the sinfulness of my life and the holiness of God. And I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I remember... It was on a Friday, and I went back to college on a Monday, and I was different. And every single person on my college campus, I tried to tell about Jesus Christ, and I haven't stopped since. When you are transformed by the power of Jesus, when you truly experience the victory that comes with Jesus, here's the thing, you want to be with him? He wants to tell others of him. What is our response? There are those around you. There are those who need to experience the love of Christ. There are those like me. Now, it just so happened that I, I married that same girl who was praying for me. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but here's the thing. 
Who are those around you who need to experience the love of Christ? Pray for them. Seek them out. Seek God on their behalf and share the good news with them. If God has delivered you, share your story. Mark 5, 19, it says, report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. (laughs) If God has delivered you, share your story. You know one thing I learned about people? They love to talk about themselves. That's your way in. People start talking about themselves, then you start talking about yourself. Except when you talk about yourself, you you put Jesus all in it. Share your story of what God has done for you. We have to remember that the gospel still has power. Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews 13, 8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus will never change. It's the same power. He has the same power. The same power that transformed this man in Mark chapter 5 is the same power that can transform today. Remember the gospel still has power. Yes, we tell people of the love of God, but we also tell them of the power of God that transforms hearts and lives. Why? The kingdom of God has come. And through Jesus, God is still confronting evil in the world by restoring God's kingdom and is inviting people to live under his reign. God wants to use each one of us to be that one, that one person that, sh- that helps to share that good news that Jesus is still saving, still pulling people out of the dark places and setting their feet on a rock. Maybe this morning you've not placed your faith and trust in Christ. And you've heard the good news of how Christ can set you free no matter how dark a place you feel like you're in. In fact, there's no darkness that's too great for him. Maybe you are a follower of Christ and you know that there's a person you've been praying for. Or that person you've been reaching out to and it seemed like they're so far gone. But the truth is, no one is too far gone for Jesus. No one is too far out of his reach. Let's continue to pray and seek God on their behalf. We bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, could you just examine your heart? Maybe you have begun to doubt the power of the gospel. Maybe you've begun to believe there are people that are too far out of his reach. But the truth is, there's no one who's too far out of his reach. If we've begun to doubt the power of the gospel, let us ask the Lord for forgiveness. Let us believe once again that the same gospel that had the power to save us, the same gospel that has the power to keep us, that very same gospel has the power to transform lives around us. If you're in this room this morning and maybe you need the power of God to transform your life, to become a new creation, he welcomes you to say, come. I'm going to pray for us. But maybe you need to respond. Maybe you are a believer and you're saying, I want to be a part of a church that is 
reaching the city with this transforming message of Christ. This is a great church to be a part of. Maybe you say, I want to place my faith and trust in Christ as Savior. Don't put it off, but today could be that day. You can respond by meeting someone right up here in the front. I'm going to pray and pray for you. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you hear our cry. That, Lord, you would even use broken vessels like us to do what only you can do, Lord. God, because we know it's your power that saves. You just use us as vessels, Lord, to be faithful witnesses. So, Lord, I pray that you help each one of us to declare that victory indeed belongs to Jesus, to tell it from the mountaintops. Just as this man in this story was in the mountaintops running around, after he got transformed, he was going to the mountain places to tell people about Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that will be each one of our stories. No matter if we're introvert or extrovert, no matter if we're old or young, each one of us who have been transformed by Jesus has a story to tell. Lord, I pray for those who feel as if they're beyond your reach, that they will reach their hands up. And you call, you're calling to them to come to me, those who are burdened, and burden with sin, and that you would give them rest. Father, we thank you for your immense grace, love, and mercy. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.